Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome to Special Edition. A weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. We're going to be hearing from a gastroenterologist about what you can do to stay healthy. Also coming up, National Nutrition Month is in the month of March and the hottest trend in nutrition, frozen meals. We'll find out all about them. For many taxpayers, it's going to be very complicated this year. And we have someone here from AARP who will be stepping up to help demystify the tax season. Also joining us today, a representative from the American Society for Civil Engineers. They released their report card not too long ago. And the overall nation's grade, not so good. We'll tell you how Pennsylvania factors into that as well. We're going to start off special edition today. The coronavirus pandemic has been a very difficult time for some because many lost their jobs due to lack of work. Now employers are coming back, reopening, and increasing the number of employees. The jobs are out there, but how do you find them? It was October of last year that we talked about a virtual career expo hosted by the Times Leader Media Group. It was a first for them and a success. That's why Carrie Miscavige, Vice President of Sales and Marketing with the Times Leader Media Group, is here to tell us about their next virtual career expo. Mark the calendar for March 24th. Carrie, welcome back. Last time you were here, we were talking about a virtual job fair. First of all, how did that go? Oh, thanks for having me again, Paula. I really appreciate it. Our first virtual career fair happened in October, and it was a a wonderful first for a lot of us um, connecting job seekers and recruiters virtually in a virtual room where they got to set up uh, face-to-face interviews uh, via video or phone or whatever their media of choice was for that day, and it went very well. Um, The recruiters uh, were able to say that they found some really good quality candidates, and I'm really happy about that. How did the candidates react? Well, you know, the candidates really appreciated it because when you do a live career fair, there's there's travel time, there's parking, um, you have to make sure you're dressed well for the occasion. A lot of preparation goes into that. And when you have a virtual career fair, it's a lot easier for that candidate and a lot less stressful to be able to interview from the comfort of their own home or their office. So you got positive results from both sides, it sounds like. 
Yes, very much so. And that's why we uh, started a second virtual career fair that's coming up March 24th. Oh, do tell. (laughs) Thanks, Paula. We're excited about hosting our second virtual fair again on March 24th. And again, we're going to have local recruiters who need help. They need workforce. They need to hire people. And, you know, we're all about getting Northeastern PA back to work after this crazy year that we've had. And um, so we'll, we'll have over 20 recruiters on board. They'll be waiting in that virtual fair to interview our local job seekers. So, yes, we're very excited about our second fair. Tell us who's going to be involved in this so that if anyone is, because one of the things that I hear from a lot of people is, well, there's nothing for me here to do. So a lot of times, unless you go to a career fair, you don't know what's here to do that they're looking for. Absolutely, Paula. And we have, as I said, over 20 recruiters that are going to be at the fair. And they serve a wide range of all kinds of opportunities from medical Um, different nursing positions and um, different technical positions within healthcare facilities, local facilities in our area. We have some manufacturing uh, and manufacturing can be warehouse, excuse me, warehouse type work, but also engineering and more technical side of things. Um, We have um, landscaping companies. We have uh, one of our cities involved, which is very exciting because they need to hire Um, We have companies in the food industry, so really a wide range of opportunities here. And some of these businesses actually have multiple positions that they're looking for. So there definitely is something for everyone here. Well, you mentioned landscaping, and that's a positive. Hopefully all the snow will be (laughs) gone. But again, it's, it's things like that. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, I couldn't be a landscaper, but there might be other options within that company that you don't know about yet. Absolutely. And it's worth checking out. And there's also several office positions available too. So if you'd rather be in in a more customer service or office setting, we have those opportunities for you as well. I can't believe it was since October because I didn't think it was that long ago. I felt like we just did this and we just spoke about the fair and and here we are again. And you're, you're on number two now. So how is this going to work on the 24th? Well, what we're recommending is our is our job seekers should register now. They should go on uh, our site, which is timesleader.com slash register. Very easy. And they can get themselves set up within the virtual fair. And they can start looking at the different positions that are being offered. And they can actually start scheduling the interviews now. And I do recommend that because um, the fair could get filled up. And we want our job seekers to be able to feel comfortable, go on there early, and get the uh, interviews that they're looking for. So that's that's that would be my recommendation. They don't have to necessarily worry about dress, but what about resumes <laughs> no. and things that you might want to get out there? Yes. Well, part of the registration process is if you'd like to get your resume downloaded into the fair itself, you can do that and you can start connecting with some of the employers that are registered for the fair. And it's a fun day. It should be exciting for for job seekers who really are looking for a new opportunity. This is the time where you can go on and have that face-to-face interview. It's completely uh, confidential. The information is not shared. No one can see who you are and who you're interviewing other than the candidate and the interviewer themselves. So uh, you have all of that, which is 
which is really nice too. Do you have all these people in one room at your facility or another facility or are they at their own facilities? They're all at their own facilities in their own home or office or wherever they do their regular business. That's where they're set up and they get to choose whether they want to interview via uh, video chat, which we all are doing right now through Zoom. And um, so we certainly encourage that, but they can also do a normal phone conversation as well. So there's a couple different opportunities for both job seekers and the recruiters. Are you still taking uh, any of the recruiters? Do you still have space? Absolutely. Um, we will take recruiters up until a couple days before the fair. It's a really easy and quick onboarding system. And uh, sure, we, we have space. That's the wonderful thing about a virtual fair. The space is, is never ending. And uh, we'd be glad to have anybody aboard. You know what's not good about a virtual fair, Carrie? No tchotchkes. (laughs) No, unfortunately, (laughs) there's no freebies on this one. And I need pens. (laughs) That's that's one of my favorites that I I always used to get. (laughs) Let's have you give us the details one more time, what everybody needs to know for March 24th. Okay, March 24th is our second virtual career fair and it's easy peasy to register just go to tidesleader.com slash register and again for anybody who wants to take part as far as resumes are concerned if anyone wants to upload a resume all they have to do is register for the fair go on the platform and they can upload their resume that's easy as well and if a recruiter wants to contact me to to join in the fair, all they have to do is email me at the Times Leader, kmiscavige at timesleader.com. Thanks again to Carrie Miscavige for joining us today on Special Edition. Mark the calendar, that job fair coming up on March 24th. The American Society for Civil Engineers released their 2021 report card for America's infrastructure. The report has been issued every four years since 1998. Overall, the nation's grade has improved slightly to a C-, marking the first time that the infrastructure is out of the D range in 20 years. But ASCE spokesperson Emily Feenstra is here to tell us that there's still plenty of room for improvement, including here in Pennsylvania, where replacing bridges, including two in Luzerne County, are raising many questions. They also added a new category, stormwater. Emily has the background on the American Society for Civil Engineers. The American Society of Civil Engineers is a member association. We have 150,000 members across the country. They're working in Pennsylvania communities um, on everything from transportation to water to the energy grid, ports, you name it when it comes to physical infrastructure. And here in Pennsylvania, we are having a big discussion about infrastructure and that part being bridges. The bridges, I get the impression of and would the uh, would the group agree that bridges are not doing so well? Sure. Yes. Um, Bridges for the national grade that we just released um, got a C, and that was actually the only grade to go down in our 2021 report card. And I know that in Pennsylvania, you have a rich history and some legacy infrastructure and bridges. You have some of the oldest bridges in the country. So quite a big maintenance backlog. I know that PennDOT has been doing good work to help with bridge preservation and put funding towards 
modernization, but it's it's just a long backlog of projects and a lot of lists of repairs to get to. And it's also causing controversy because the government here in Pennsylvania have given the option of putting in tolls for the specific bridge. And that is going to be meeting with some opposition from different areas, especially since in our area in Luzerne County, we have actually two bridges that are heavily traveled and wondering what that would mean. So when we're looking at at the infrastructure and changing it, is funding one of the biggest things that your organization comes across in dealing with these things? Absolutely. One of the things that we try to emphasize is that while tolls and, you know, other ways of funding and financing might seem hard to swallow, we are already paying as American families kind of a hidden tax when we don't invest and maintain our infrastructure. And just like if you build a roof on your house and and didn't maintain it and put funding towards it over the years, that's kind of where we are with our transportation infrastructure. And you know, I was driving to the office this morning, hit a few potholes after the warm temperatures we've had this week, the tragedies in Texas with the blackouts, the water main breaks, all of those things cost money and they add up to about $3,300 a year for American families when we kind of kick the can down the road and don't invest in our infrastructure. So what would you suggest as far as, you know, your group, you're out there, you're fixing these things, you're seeing these things. And I know it's not just the bridges. There are all kinds of others that are being looked at as well, but there's only so much money that seems to be going around. So what do you hear from the the fellas and the, the women who are out there doing this and redoing the repairs and checking the structure? What do you hear from them? Sure. I think... Why we released the report card is a wake-up call for what's really an out-of-sight, out-of-mind issue for most people. The water turns on when you turn on the tap. Um, there's not a bridge closure, but but these things are hidden. Um, the report card shows, you know, we made a little progress with an overall C-, minus, but we have 11 grades stuck in the Ds for America's infrastructure. So what we're seeing out in the field in Pennsylvania and communities across the country is that um, we have a backlog of projects. We need to invest in our infrastructure, and that really pays dividends in communities. It, it helps businesses locate and be productive. It helps, you know, you get to work on time and not lose water to a leaky pipe. All of these things help quality of life. They get people back to work, and it's an investment that pays off. You know, you're talking about the report card. Were there any um, good grades on the report card anywhere? There were a few I'd like to highlight, yes. And one, I think we can see rings true in Pennsylvania. The rail grade, again, was our highest grade of a B. And I know in Pennsylvania, you have quite an extensive freight rail network, the fourth largest in the U.S., 64 freight railroads alone in the state. Another grade that went up is the grade of ports. And, um, you know, this is what helps get goods on the store shelf. And as we're living in the world of Amazon and instant deliveries, it helps Um, get our products on time. So we saw a lot of good investment um, by ports themselves and by the federal government to boost that grade. One of the other things that caught my eye, because again, in our area, it's talked about a lot, stormwater. Is that new? Yes. Stormwater was our new category in 2021. It debuted, unfortunately, at a disappointing D. Uh, 
as I'm sure many of you have experienced, you know, when you have a heavy rain event, which we're getting more and more of, and the city streets flood or you have flooding on the highway, that's because we don't have the necessary stormwater infrastructure to maintain it. So um, we thought it was important to include stormwater because it's an issue that more and more cities and communities are dealing with. And clearly we have a long way to go with raising that grade. I think, again, a lot of people who may be hearing this are saying, gee, we're not alone, are we? Exactly. These are issues that are playing out all all across the U.S., I would note Pennsylvania has made great strides in everything from lead service line replacement to some of the green infrastructure in cities like Philadelphia and Lancaster to combat some of the flooding and stormwater issues. So Pennsylvania and Scranton is not alone, but some good work happening there as well. And what would you like to leave our listeners with as far as the report card is concerned for 2021 and infrastructure? Sure. I think a little bit of the progress we've seen with the GPA for America's infrastructure ticking up in 2021 shows that this problem is significant but solvable. Um, When we invest strategically and make sure our dollars count, um, we see results. So I'd like to end with a little bit of hopeful news that coming into this new year, this is a way we can get the best bang for the buck with our investment. We'll study harder and next year's report card will look much better. (laughs) Absolutely. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Emily Feenstra, the spokesperson for the American Society for Civil Engineers, telling us about their 2021 report card for America's infrastructure, including here in Pennsylvania. Now, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk taxes, nutrition, and colon cancer on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Next, for many taxpayers, this is likely to be the most complicated tax season they've faced. A tax season like no other since personal income tax was established back in 1913. Older Americans in particular may be struggling this year. Margie Mannix is Vice President and Digital Editor-in-Chief for AARP, and she's here to tell us just how AARP is stepping up to help demystify the tax season. Margie, let's get started. When we're talking about all of the things that are coming up, one of the biggest is taxes. And with everything that's happened the past year and into this year. So many people are going to be confused and a lot of people aren't going to be able to get them done as they traditionally have, uh, especially if they use VITA because uh, they can't sit down with the people like they used to. So what are you hearing about all this? Uh, We know it's a very, very complex tax season. Um, Older Americans that contact us have many, many questions. And so we are urging people to, you know, get help if they need it. There's a lot of help for low-income Americans. Double and triple check their tax returns. Make sure they're aware that they can claim credit on their tax return for stimulus payments, Um, you know, unemployment benefits. They might be, older Americans might be facing this for the first time ever. Um, They need to know that those benefits are taxable. So there's a whole lot of things going on making this such a confusing tax season for for all Americans and especially older Americans who, I said, it might be 
you know, thinking about these things or facing these things, frankly, for the first time. Let's talk a little bit about that stimulus payment, because there's a lot of misconceptions that are going around about that. Can you set us straight? Sure. And in fact, um, are my economic stimulus payments taxable is one of the big questions that we are getting from our members and from other older Americans. The short answer here is no, those payments are not taxable. Um, some, but some people are very, very worried because they didn't get their stimulus payments. I think in, in IRS reports in Pennsylvania, about 6 million people got stimulus payments. But we have heard that about 10% of people across the nation may have missed a payment. Now, they may have missed a payment for many, many reasons. Um, you know, um, maybe you don't file a tax return um, because of your income. We do know that we've, uh, that some people in the second round, some of those payments went to inactive or closed bank accounts. Some people also had a drop in income. They might have lost their job. So maybe they didn't qualify for the first payment, but they do for the second one. So the only way they're going to get that payment is they claim it on their tax return. So if you if you didn't get as much, as you are entitled to, or you miss the payment, you can claim that missing stimulus money on your 2020 tax return. It's in the form of something called a tax credit, the recovery rebate credit. And I would urge people to file their taxes, really take a look at the worksheet that comes with the forms that walks you through the recovery rebate credit. And you really, really, you've got nothing to lose to, to do this because it not only might reduce your tax taxes, but depending on your financial circumstances or your income, it could produce a refund. So you really need to take advantage of this if you have missed a payment or you didn't get the amount that you were entitled to. Now, Margie, what I'd like you to do here is set us straight on what we're looking for for the things that might be scams. Oh, yeah. The, the, well, the big one, there's a couple big ones. One of them is a perennial one. Um, the IRS uh, called you, and this happened to my mother recently, um, the IRS calls and says that you owe back taxes, and then they threaten you with arrest or jail. Um, and it's a very scary thing for older Americans to receive. I know my mom was, you know, thought it was real, and I'm like, Mom, that's nonsense. It's ridiculous. The IRS does not call you and threaten you. If for some reason you owe back taxes, they will send you a letter. And this happens everywhere, and, you know, the scamsters ratchet up that scam during tax season. The new twist this year, though, is that we are hearing from older Americans that someone else is applying for unemployment benefits in their name. This is identity theft, pure and simple. And these older Americans we've heard from are shocked and surprised when they get the form, it's the form 1099G, that says you have collected unemployment benefits this year. So that's one thing that we are definitely concerned about, and we want older Americans to be aware of this. Um, and make sure that they are not, you know, giving out any personal information. If someone calls you on the phone, do not give out your personal information. We're talking about a lot of people who may or may not have access to Internet. So the first thing uh, people may go to is IRS.gov. Would that be a good place to start if they have questions? Yeah, you can, you, IRS.gov, yes. That's, and we also have gathered all of our information. We've done a ton of of articles and um, educational pieces that will walk people through um, how to uh, claim the recovery rebate credit on your tax form. Um, some of the extra help for people over 65 this year, they can you know claim a higher standard deduction. We have many, many tools and many, many articles that can help cut through the clutter and demystify this entire tax season. They need to go to www.aarp.org slash taxes. 
Now, what if they don't have access to internet? Do you also have those things in your publications? They are members. They're regular. Uh, they do get our publications, and we have information there. We also have various state offices. If they have questions, they can call our state offices, and they can uh, refer them to help. But there's many, many places out there, um, and I would encourage anybody that works with or, or our family member, your grandmother, your parents, aunt, or what have you, um, if you do have, there's lots of help and, and places that you can go to find information on the internet. Maybe you can get a younger person or someone who's more tech savvy to help you, but you can also call our state office. Sometimes they may turn to get them done by someone. And sometimes that can also be, uh, well, that could turn out to be a bad thing too. So Margie, what would they look for if someone decides that they are going to have their taxes done by someone else? Well, they, first of all, if, if, if the older American is, has a low income, they should turn to a place like our wonderful program, the ARP Foundation Tax Aid Program. If you have an adjusted gross income of less than $72,000, you can get free help through that program. The IRS also has a free tax file program, and there's a number of organizations around the country um, that can help you with this sort of thing. If you make less than that, you can get help. And these are services that have been, that are, are, that are quite wonderful and authoritative and extremely helpful. Uh, the tax aid program, for example, has many, many options for people who don't want to come in. Now, I have to caution, there is limited availability there. This year, because of the pandemic, because of local restrictions, because of volunteer availability, we are asking that people schedule an appointment. And uh, we do on our website have the tax aid locator. So there's plenty of places they can go for wonderful help and assistance during this tax season. What should our listeners know when it comes to taxes, especially this year? Uh, stimulus payments. If you did, if you miss a stimulus payment, you can claim it on your tax refund. If you're 65 plus, make sure you take that um, extra standard deduction and just double and triple check everything because it is so confusing this year. Margie, thank you. Thank you, Paula. Have a great day. You too. And I hope your mom's well. She is. She is. Good. And scam free. (laughs) And with more information on taxes, Chief Tax Information Officer at Jackson Hewitt, Mark Stieber. Well, 2020 will be one for the yearbooks, both for the year that was the the pandemic year and now the wrap up with the individual income tax return that will be reflective of 2020. You know, there were so many changes for most Americans, it'll be hard to see that there'll be anybody not touched, whether it's folks who got the first or the second uh, stimulus payment, whether it's any of the 60 million Americans who filed for unemployment at some portion, you know, 40 million Americans who started or kept going with their self-employed or part-time gig business. There were tax law changes that go even farther than that. And then there's all the rest of life that people have every year, even, uh, you know, absent a pandemic, Uh, you know, getting married, getting divorced, having a child, adopting a child. All of those will go on to your tax return and in many cases create a bigger benefit. So there's a lot to watch for this year in the way of opportunity. But with that goes the opportunity of risk. If you leave something off of your tax return in the way of a benefit, a deduction, a credit, some of that stimulus money that you may still be due, 
that will generally stay off of your tax return just like every year. The IRS is not in the business of making sure you get the biggest refund. They're in the business of making sure you pay your taxes. It's on you to make sure you get the biggest refund. So it'll be very important for folks to watch for all the things that happened in their lives, all the things that happened in the tax world, the tax law changes, and then marry the two up by using a trained, experienced, uh, and qualified pro to make sure they get the biggest refund they can. Let's talk a little bit about that stimulus money. What is the deal with that? Are we paying it back, part of it back? Have we been taxed on it? How does all that work? Uh, the stimulus payment programs were both very, very generous, uh, You know, I guess to spend, depending on your political affiliation, but I, I will say it this way. The first one, $1,200 per person. Uh, the second one going on right now, even as we speak, about $600 per person, you know, including dependents. You know, the IRS did their best uh, effort on the first one and on the second one, but that doesn't mean that everyone gets all of their money. Yeah, and even by no fault of the IRS or their own, uh, you know, lives change. People have children, and they didn't have that on the initial payment, that is to say, on the automatic payment relying on prior data. So you may have a life change that had a child. You may do you do more money. There was a law change on the most recent bill that said some people can go back and get extra money that didn't get it the first time. And so there's a lot of moving parts on the stimulus payment, but the simplest answer is it's not taxable. But the downside is you might not have gotten all of your money, and you'll need to reconcile that on your 2020 tax return, tell your tax pro all about your situation, your life, your family makeup, how much money you got, and you maybe do more money. And if you accidentally got too much money, say they gave you money for a dependent that's no longer yours, but went over to a shared custody spouse, you don't even have to pay that money back. So it's kind of a win-win. So it's in your best interest to make sure you talk with your tax pro and tell them all your situational facts and get the biggest money you can. But the stimulus payment programs going on now, the one back in February kind of wrapping up, but you reconcile it on your 2020 tax return right now to make sure you get all of it. And if you do more, you get more. So as far as anything that we have you that we have usually been dealing with, and I know a lot of people are going to have questions on unemployment, because again, that kind of goes with the stimulus. Some got some, some didn't, some didn't. So where does all that go? Yeah, unemployment benefits have been very complex this year. And unemployment benefits are one of the trickier areas on a tax return in a regular year, let alone the 2020 pandemic year. Many people think unemployment benefits are not taxable, when in fact, just like regular earnings or regular wages, unemployment benefits are fully taxable. For 2020, though, you saw regular benefits. Most states, if not all, had expanded their benefit program. They've extended it in many cases. The federal government added on their own federal unemployment program, which many states enacted on. So you may receive one, two, three, or more statements this year outlining your unemployment benefits. And it's important that you put those on your tax return, because if you leave it off, I promise you, Uncle Sam and the government will know about it, and you'll get one of those nasty letters, probably a tax assessment, penalty, and interest. The other thing about unemployment benefits that catches people off guard are two things. The first is, unlike wages, unemployment benefits do not automatically have withholdings, tax withholdings as a part of them. You must opt in. You must ask for taxes to be withheld. And most people in their you know, concern over unemployment and being out of work don't ask for less money and more taxes to be withheld. So many people are caught off guard at tax time. First, that it's taxable, and two, you didn't prepay any taxes like you did with your wages. So that really catches people off guard, kind of a surprise. Another thing to be sure to share with your tax pro that you had unemployment benefits and that you have the totality of the payment 
you know, statements that should be coming in the mail, but not every time. Some states are now going to virtual like your computer and you have to go and download your statement. But leave it off. I promise you the IRS will know and you'll get a letter. Oh, man, there's an awful lot to be thinking about. So is there anything that uh, I, I don't even know how to phrase it to look forward to? Well, I will say this. Three out of four taxpayers do get a refund every year. We don't see that being different this year. Perhaps some refund shock if you don't catch all the benefits that you have. I'll give you a for example. Uh, this year, much like many years, about 27 million people take advantage of EITC. It's a program worth up to $6,600. Well, your income might be less this year because of the COVID and you might have been laid off. Well, the last minute law change said, hey, if your income was less, you can look at last year's tax return, 2019's tax return, and pick cherry pick the better of the two incomes. Pick the bigger for the EITC. Overlook that, you might get less EITC. If your pro knows about that rule and you tell them, you know, I think I get EITC, you can get the better of the two and probably get a bigger refund. So there's lots of those little tidbits in the tax bills that were passed as the CARES Act, the uh, provision at the end of the year, and even the Tax Cut and Job Act to watch for. So most taxpayers should be okay to even better, but you know, there's a lot of places to look as I started off at the beginning, and you don't want to miss something that you're due. Mark, you're awesome. I wish we could have more time with you. So sharpen your pencils and get us through it. Well, you know, if you need more information, jacksonhewitt.com, all this, videos of me, videos of us, you know, telling you about this, an easy way to jumpstart your interest in the tax season this year. Plus, you can get started and find an office. Just put your zip code in. next on Special Edition, March is National Nutrition Month, and it's also Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. Cooking fatigue has set in for many of us. It's National Nutrition Month. The hottest trend, frozen meals. Courtney McCormick is a corporate dietitian with Nutrisystem and tells us that they're not the TV dinners we grew up with. Courtney, I said this interview was made for me and this is why, because cooking fatigue has definitely set in. Dealing with, and, and what caught my eye was frozen foods. Because when people think of frozen foods, they think of there's too much salt in them, there's too much this in them, they're not healthy. But you are here to tell us, not necessarily so. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of misperceptions around frozen foods. And exactly as you said, I think people often associate frozen foods with sodium and just really being um, poor in terms of nutritional content. And that that's just not true. So we've seen over, you know, the past few years, this shift in the food industry really trying to improve the nutritional quality of those frozen meals. How do you make a decision as to what would be the best or the healthiest? Yeah, so I always encourage people to really look, you know, at the protein and fiber content of that meal um, because those really are the nutrients that are going to keep you feeling fuller longer. And that's really important. That's what we really want when we think about, you know, any meal, right, is we want it to last. We want that, want it to sustain us for a longer period of time. So really focusing on the protein and fiber content of those meals. And I think that's where, um, you know, we've seen the food industry really start to be more purposeful and the ingredients that they're using in meals. And so really looking to add more vegetables, you know, there's a lot of plant-based options in the market today, really thinking about adding more ingredients like beans and legumes 
even grains like quinoa um, at Nutrisystem, I know we've added quinoa to the crust of our flatbreads. Um, so you, you get that pizza, but you also get that quinoa, um, which is going to deliver both protein and fiber to that meal. So really looking for protein and fiber, and then also trying to minimize the sodium content. Um, so really trying to, you know, keep the meal, I'd say less than 600 milligrams of sodium is probably a good starting point for frozen meals and really trying to minimize that sodium. One way you can do that is by looking for those meals that are going to deliver more of that flavor punch. Um, so using a lot of different herbs and spices or even citrus to, to enhance the flavor, because by doing that, you're going to need less sodium in that meal. It sounds to me like you're trying to get people to read the labels. Is that right? Um, we are because, I mean, I think, you know, even going outside of the frozen food aisle, right, and, and any kind of food, I think it's important to educate ourselves and really look at the label and make sure that we're maximizing the nutrition in the foods that we're, that we're choosing. When we're talking about this whole idea, again, I go back to a day when it would be said, oh, it's just a frozen dinner. Don't worry about it. It's, oh, we're having frozen dinner again. But that seems like that's also changing. It is. And I think it's, you know, in this world that we're in today, um, I think with the pandemic, many of us, you know, we were, I think, very eager in the beginning to get in the kitchen and we were excited to be cooking at home more. Um, but what we've seen in some of our own consumer research is that people are just tired, right? We're, we're experiencing that cooking fatigue. And so we, we want to have a healthy meal that we can put on the table for our family, but we're just really tired of cooking everything from scratch. Um, and I think that's where frozen meals can really come in and help us. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that people understand that there are healthy options and that it's not your typical kind of the, the TV dinner, I think, that people think of when they think of frozen meals. And I think that's important. At least what we're trying to do is really help people feel less guilty um, and try to remove that guilt. We don't want people to feel guilty and feel that in order to have something healthy for themselves and their family, that they have to be cooking everything from scratch. Everything has to be fresh. And that's just not the case. Um, you can really deliver a healthy meal for yourself and your family in a frozen format. Feeling <laughs> guilty. How did you know? Yeah, we, we, we've seen that a lot. You know, we, we think is that fresh is best and that it has to be fresh. It has to be homemade. It has to be scratch cooking. Um, and, and that's not the case. Um, there's lots of ways to, to have a healthy, nutritious diet. And it doesn't mean spending hours in your kitchen. And it's not not necessarily that frozen meals or frozen food are just for dinner anymore. They're not. Um, I mean, you can find really great options for breakfast. You can find really great lunch options. There's a lot of different ways that you can get those meals on the table in a frozen format, not just dinner. And I think that's important, too, because, you know, many of us have shifted um, and are working from home. Many of us are schooling our kids from home. Um, and so I think lunch even becomes probably even more important, right, of getting something quick and nutritious that we can just grab for lunch. Um, and that's where frozen meals can really help help you at that meal occasion as well. That even goes into things, vegetables and fruit. And I think, you know, one thing I always tell people is that when we think about that frozen meal, we also need to complement it and really add those side dishes as well. Um, because we know that that frozen meal, for some people, they may, may need a little more calories, right? So they need to add some side dishes to that. And that's where frozen foods can also, you know, play a role because you can have your frozen entree and then just grab a bag of 
frozen vegetables or add, you know, a little cup of frozen fruit, makes a little nice sweet kind of dessert um, to go with that frozen meal. So we call that plantifying the meal and thinking about how you can complement that frozen meal, complete your meal by adding some of those really nutritious side dishes as well. And frozen means we can keep it longer if we don't use it right away. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also why we've seen this increase in consumption of frozen meals during the pandemic, because what we saw was that people are really trying to minimize their trips to the grocery store. And I think just naturally, as a result of that, people have turned to using frozen foods, use um, canned goods, or also we've seen an increase in the consumption of canned foods. And it really is a way to kind of stretch that food over a longer period of time to help people minimize the trips to the grocery store. Um, I also love frozen foods because I think it can help minimize food waste because we know we're not going to have a lot of leftovers that may get thrown out. We're not going to have a lot of extra ingredients sitting around from a recipe that you cooked that, you know, maybe you need a tablespoon of parsley and what do you do with the rest of it? Um, So I think it helps minimize food waste as well. Courtney, if somebody has any other questions, is there a uh, website that they can go to? Um, I encourage everybody to check out our blog. It's called The Leaf. And you can access that at leaf, L-E-A-F dot Nutrisystem dot com. And we have lots of great articles, lots of great tips around nutrition and healthy lifestyle up there on that blog. All right. Courtney, thank you so much. I feel so much better today. Great. Thank you so much, Paul. And thanks again for having me on your show. Thanks, Courtney, for joining us. Dr. Joyanne Crozer is a gastroenterologist in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, and she's here to tell us what else is in the month of March. It is March. It is colorectal cancer awareness month, and so many people are affected. Are the numbers going down at all? No, no, they're not. And in fact, colorectal cancer remains the third most common uh, cancer uh, diagnosis and cause of cancer death in the United States. And that says something because as you're you're in Pennsylvania and here in Pennsylvania, especially here in the Northeast, there has always been more cases here. Have you been able to determine why some areas seem to have more than others? No, that's a great question, and a lot of people and researchers have been studying that. Um, we have discovered recently that there are, in fact, certain hot spots, and some of them do exist in the Northeast, especially for younger women who puts them at uh, risk for colon cancer even higher than above the average. Some of the things that have been uh, discovered are things like physical inactivity and fertility may be contributing factors to these women living in these locations. They were tended to be in urban areas, and the people of the study didn't have a lot of physical activity in their leisure time, and they also had lower uh, rates of fertility, and that may be two contributing factors in, in addition to socioeconomic data. My mom had it back in the mid-'80s, and things were so much different then. You didn't talk about colonoscopies. Now, that's one of the life-saving measures, isn't it? Oh, it is the main life-saving measure. Glad you that you brought that up because it is so important to talk about, and that's why I'm glad we're talking today, and to take away the mystery out of this procedure. Colonoscopy can prevent colon cancer by discovering precancerous lesions called polyps, little growths in the colon, and it's a one-step process to both prevent colon cancer, detect it if it's there. So it's really the best test overall to perform for screening for colon cancer. What would be some of the symptoms that someone might 
experience. In the later stages, patients might experience change in their bowel habit, change in the stool form, rectal bleeding, abdominal pain, unintentional weight loss are some examples. Sometimes it comes about when a patient goes to a doctor and they get some routine blood work and they're discovered to be anemic and low in iron. And that can be the first clue. Being a family member, I've already had numerous colonoscopies since I was 40. But it seems to be that they wait a longer period of time and so many things can happen in there. That's right. Recently, the the age for screening for colon cancer has been lower to age 45. So all uh, adults age 45 to 75, we include these as being who are at average risk, should get screened for colon cancer. And you mentioned when you have a family history such as yourself, that that screening should begin even earlier. We typically recommend about 10 years before the time of the diagnosis of the relative or age 40, whatever comes first. And even even a colonoscopy procedure has come such a long way from the prep time. And let's talk about that. Certainly, certainly. And it is important to to help patients understand and people understand that it's really not that bad. And hopefully it's one and done. Our idea is to get a great, high-quality colonoscopy every 10 years. So putting it in perspective of like like that, so people could kind of put up a little bit more with some disturbed sleep or going to the bathroom, more drinking some potentially unpleasant uh, medication. But typically, we have patients be on a clear liquid diet the day before, maybe a light breakfast as well. And there's so many choices now in bowel preparation. Many of them are liquid. Some taste better than others. And there are also pills that are available now. The main important thing I stress with patients, no matter what prep you take, is to hydrate yourself very well. When we tell people to have a clear liquid diet, we want them to really hydrate themselves, drink as much broth, jello, those types of things, to really stay hydrated and they'll feel so much better during the prep. One of the things, too, that a lot of people are going toward are the at-home tests. Positives, negatives? I would start off by saying that any modality to screen for colon cancer is better than no modality. And we do have some non-invasive alternatives to colonoscopy. There's two at-home tests that are available currently. One is called a FIT test. That's to test for hidden blood in the stool. That's usually mailed to the patient from their doctor's office, primary doctor's office. And that would be recommended to be done annually for a screening measure rather than the colonoscopy, which is once in every 10 years. There's another uh, test, which is a stool DNA test, and that can also be done at home. That's a newer test that tests for not only hidden blood in the stool, but also some stool DNA changes that may alert to larger polyps or cancer that already exists. And that is recommended to be done every three years for screening. A lot of people say polyp hemorrhoid. Not true? No, that's a common misconception. I believe there is an old-fashioned term for hemorrhoid clot pile. Yes. But polyp is P-O-L-Y-P, and that refers to a small growth inside the colon. And these are precancerous lesions, precancerous little bumps. And they actually come of all different types. There's two main types, we, two or three main types we worry about. The main one we talk about is an adenomatous polyp. That's definitely a precancerous polyp that should be removed. And then that puts a patient on a pathway to help look for more down the line. Another type of polyp is called hyperplastic. That has no potential to turn into cancer. So there are folks who might have a colonoscopy and have a polyp removed, but the doctor might still tell them, you don't need another one for 10 years because of the type of polyp you've had. So there's a third type that we've been recognizing more called a sessile serrated lesion. 
And that's a polyp that is somewhat similar to hyperplastic, but in fact is a more is a precancerous polyp. And so they tend to grow flatter and we pay particular attention to these type of polyps. So I think it is important for folks to recognize that depending on the type of polyp, the size of polyp, the number of polyps they have, each individual would get a more individualized recommendation. And you're not going to find a polyp on your own. No, no. Polyps are small and you, they wouldn't be detected, let's say, on a typical, on a CT scan or other type of imaging unless they were much larger. The only way to detect polyp and remove them at the same time is by having a colonoscopy. Dr. Crozer, I'm going to let you tell our listeners in the month of March to find out about colorectal cancer. Well, it's been a pleasure. If I could mention also one other thing, if folks have any, want to get any further information, the American College of Gastroenterology has some great info at gi.org slash colon cancer. Over 30 years ago, Rotary made a promise to the world a promise that we would eradicate polio. With the help of our partners and friends, we've made incredible progress toward that goal. So today we find ourselves on the brink of completely eradicating polio from the face of the earth. When, not if, we get there, it will be only the second time in history that a disease affecting humans has been eradicated. The Gates Foundation believes that every child deserves a chance to live a healthy, productive life. That's why we're so excited about the partnership we have with Rotary International and the Global Polio Eradication Initiative in the final push to rid the world of polio. Together, I'm confident we'll achieve a polio-free world. Let's drop to zero. Let's drop to zero. Let's drop to zero. Rotary District 7410 of Northeastern Pennsylvania continues this effort to rid the world of polio. Come join us. Visit inpolio.org. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications.